This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, recognizing that Charlie Dobbin knows just how much I like alliteration, uh, let me say it's time to take a trip to hear from the terrific Troika, the Garden Show team, Charlie, Frank, and Joel. Uh, Charlie, are you still okay there in Prince Edward County? Yes, indeedy, Franklin. I've been speaking with Joel, our tech guy, and I know he's fine somewhere in downtown Toronto in front of his computer. And you, Frankie? Yep. All systems are go. You know, once again, I'm in my car at the corner of Aurora Road and Kennedy Road talking to you on the phone while recording my side of the conversation on another phone. (laughs) And I'm doing the same. And Joel, our top tech guy, will be putting both our recordings together for broadcast quality today. Maybe it would be a good idea to remind folks that we're not able to take phone calls. Oh, absolutely. Now, so as we did last week, we'll deal with emails and we'd love to hear from you for next week's show. So please, at any time, send your questions to Charlie Dobbin at C dot Dobbin. That's D-O-B-B-I-N at M-Z media dot com. So, Charlie, how has your last week gone? I tell you, Frank, this has been one creative week. <laughs> I've been learning. I mean, I'm just, it's a, we're never too old to learn, right? So I've been learning how to teach college students via live chats on Zoom. Plus, I've dug out a heating pad, old seeds, and some wacky containers in an effort to get some herbs and easy vegetables growing. It's hard to eat fresh when you only get out to a food store every couple of weeks. Yeah, and when you get there, you've got to observe that spatial six mm. feet, and that's really difficult to do, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. Yeah, and and if you're traveling with your partner, you got to leave one. The one of the partners has to stay in the car. <laughs> right. Actually, both Shirley and I have the same problem as a lot of people trying to remember what day it is. <laughs> it looks looks like we uh, are going to be ready very shortly to take our first break. And I got to tell you, I'm quite amazed at the number of emails that you received from, uh, last week. Oh, lots. And you know what? There's still another show's worth there right now. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Email from all over, actually, say all over Canada, but all over the world, really. Okay. Well, we might be up to our first break, and we'll come back to deal with all those emails. And once again, that address is c.dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. And you are listening to The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin here on Zoomer Radio AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Well, Charlie, uh, let's deal with the emails, and we have a bunch of them here. The first one is from, well, isn't that a son of a gun? Uh, Somebody I know, uh, my my sister-in-law, Sue Shane, is Waterloo. Uh, Your sister-in-law is one sneaky person. (laughs) She broke all the rules in this email. Well, I, I, I know her so well, and she's 
such a nice lady. She only <laughs> supplied three questions because she was afraid we weren't going to get the number of emails we were expecting. Uh, but okay. let's, I'll tell you what. How about we deal with the, her first question, and mm-hmm. if we're running short later on in the program, we'll get to the other questions she's put forward, okay? Okie doke. All righty. So you're forgiven, Sue. Let's see. Question, <laughs> question number one. Uh, we planted a Wegelia. Wegelia. Wegelia shrub yeah. last year. And as this is our first spring after planting, is it too early to prune it? And when's the best time? Also, how much should we cut it back? Hmm. Okay, so this is a good question because a lot of times people really hesitate to prune. So I'm glad that Sue's thinking about pruning, particularly when a plant is young. When you, when a plant is young and newly planted, this is your chance, whether it's a tree or a shrub, to think about the ultimate form and shape and aesthetics of that plant as it grows. So there's no question we start studying the framework, the skeleton, the bones, if you will, of that plant early in the game. Now, it goes without saying, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, at any time of the year, we can remove the dead, the damaged, or the diseased uh, plant material off of any plant at any time of year. So that's the first thing we do in the spring. We study all our trees, all our shrubs. We look for dead. We look for damaged. We look look for disease. So damaged would be um, branches that have rubbed together over the winter in the wind and the bark is, is all rough and scraped off or split in the bark or, you know, perish the thought damage from things like rabbits. So we, we look for that kind of, um, you know, look, and then we right away, nice, dry, dry, sunny day, sharp pruners, we remove that material. Now, um, a, there's so many different kinds of wajila out there, it's hard to say exactly what Sue and her husband should do with this plant. They, this is a lovely plant. They've really done a lot of breeding on them in the last few years. It used to be that they were huge, big, you know, farmyard shrubs, big green leaves, lots and lots of red and pink flowers. But now we've got them in different shapes. So little tiny miniature, you know, like a foot high kind of shrub at its full height, um, multicolored leaves, uh, mostly pink or red flowers, but we've got purple leaves and like I say, all different shapes and sizes. So at this point, is it too early to prune? I would prune for shape. Always think about and look for any rubbing together of branches, remove one of them, uh, you know, look for the form, make sure the plant is growing in an outward uh, way. And it does bloom uh, mid-spring, late spring. But the cool thing about Wajila is that it continues to bloom on and off through the entire growing season. So your first flush of blooms is coming. Once it's done, that's when I would do any kind of tip pruning if you wanted to. And that'll encourage even more flowers. So, uh, But no radical cutting back should be required the first season. Okie dokie. So that takes us to the next question here from Janine Holman. Uh, she says, hi, Charlie and Frank. Thanks for reviewing my email. Uh, I've attached three pictures of a very old corn plant. And please correct me if I'm wrong. If it's not a corn plant, it must be decades old, 30 years, and has not been repotted or fertilized for many years. And then she puts in parentheses, my bad. No kidding. Shame on her. My goodness, this poor plant. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, it's such awful behavior. But anyway, <laughs> she says I'm in isolation due to COVID-19. I'm spending more quality time with the plants in my life and house. Uh, this poor plant is in dire need of some tender, loving care and attention. Hmm. Considering the shape this corn plant is in, can you please advise me what I need to do to bring health and vigor back to it? 
uh, in terms of repotting, cutting back propagation, etc. So what do you say, Charlie? Well, you did you look at the pictures, Frank? She did. Thank you, Janine. She sent us three pictures and... It is one sad looking plant. So, okay, she's calling it a corn plant. It is a form of Dracaena, so D-R-A-C-E-N-A. And Dracaena, um, very commonly grown as houseplants, low maintenance, handle fairly low light conditions, and they'll grow with a stalk. That, that's where the corn part kind of comes from. It's got the fairly, um, almost like a woody stem. And then the leaves, in the case of this one, are, are very kind of floppy, corn-like looking leaves. Now, I believe that this poor plant has not been given much care because it's in a, it's not a very large pot, very old soil, uh, and no leaves for the bottom six feet. And then a bunch of leaves above that, uh, for about two feet, it looks like. So what do you do? Well, remember last week we had a question about air layering. We talked a bit about propagating plants where, where you slice the, into the bark, wrap the moist sphagnum moss around and get, then affix that moss to the stems with twist ties, string, something soft and some plastic wrap and leave it. So see, that's the challenge with a plant like this. Janine, you can keep the top foot of that plant, which is what I would do. I would air layer the top foot. Uh, and then gets roots to grow at that, you know, foot or two feet from the, the top tip of it all, uh, doing the air layering at that point on the stem. It might take a few months, it might take a six, eight, ten weeks before you get any, any roots. But once you've got roots, then you would sever the top chunk where the roots, you know, just below where the roots are growing and you would repot that new propagated um, tips or top of the plant into fresh soil, fresh pot, uh, you know, water thoroughly when you first do that and then, uh, burn the rest of it. Like the rest is just horrible and, and not pretty at all. And of course the, the root, I mean, okay. Then you say, but no, I've had it for 30 years. So then, okay, fine. Cut down the whole mess to being about a foot tall and leave those empty green stems sticking out of the, the old pot and buds will probably grow off those stems. So, I mean, you could end up with two plants at the end of it all. Wow, I thought you were going to say ditch the whole thing. Ah, uh, that's an option too, actually. <clears throat> but no, but, but you know what? When you've had it for 30 years, it's a bit of a friend, right? It's hard to really just ditch something. I mean, yeah. Oh, she adds a, a very nice addendum to the note here. She says, uh, thanks very much for your time and advice. I enjoy listening to the garden show every Saturday morning. It's a wonderful way to start my weekend. Take care, stay safe, and be well. Janine, that was very nice. Yeah, thanks, Janine. Alrighty, um, Gully, we're, we're keeping you busy this morning. We have more than enough emails to deal with. <laughs> this one, uh, Charlie, in from Colleen Ormston. She says, um, I have a pinky winky hydrangea that's about four feet tall, <laughs> about five years old. It, it only has buds in the top portion of long branches. How far can I cut it back? And I realize I probably will not have blooms this year if I prune, but will it would be okay next year? Thanks so much, Colette from Stouffville. Okay, this is a great question. Don't you love that name, Pinky Winky? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, similar to what we were just saying that, you know, Wajila are very, very popular shrubs because so much breeding and there's so many great choices out there now. Hydrangea are the same. There's been a ton of breeding done on hydrangeas. So <clears throat> we've got them all over the map in terms of shape of flower, colors of flower, height of plant. Um, Pinky Winky is kind of cool because it does... 
It's got a con. Okay. So first of all, we have to understand it's a hydrangea. It, and it blooms late in the summer. So it's part of the group of hydrangeas that are like the PG hydrangeas. So they are the conical shaped flowers, not the round ones, conical shaped flowers. Uh, if the plants are planted in full sun, as they should be, so six hours plus sunlight every single day, they will bloom very consistently starting usually about early August. And uh, they look beautiful when they're blooming. The blooms just get bigger and bigger through August and September. By the time the nights are getting cooler, they turn just a flaming color of pink. So they go from a white to a, a very, very bright pink. Um, now, the, the pruning, and, and actually to be honest, Colleen, because Pinky Winky Hydrangea and all the PG Hydrangeas form their flowers on growth that they are going to produce this growing season. So what we would call new growth. So because that the flowers are going to form there, you can prune in the spring as much as you want, encourage all kinds of new growth and expect lots of flowers later in the season. So now is the time. Um, if it is getting tall and leggy, bring it down. You can, you can bring it down by half if you wish to, in terms of its height. And, um, and again, think about form. Look at the frame. Look at the skeleton, the bones of the plant. Prune for outward growth and prune for beauty and prune for bushiness and prune for flowers because the flowers are going to grow on the tips. Well, there you go. Okay. Um, I think we have time for one more uh, question here for our segment. Um, this is from Anne Ottaway. Uh, she says, hi, Charlie. I need to move a... Uh, a no, wait a minute. She says, I need to move up first. This oh, it's forsythia. A forsythia. Oh, okay, right. All right. I need to move a forsythia about five feet tall. When is the best time, and should I wait until it blooms? Hmm. Well, forsythia are those bright yellow blooming shrubs that are the first ones to bloom every spring. So we love them. Uh, I personally would wait until after it blooms because those buds are there now. Uh, I'm not sure how long it's been there, but if it's five feet tall and we are getting this from Ottawa. Yes. So this, or I think it's maybe not Ottawa. I just think it's Ottawa. Uh, we're not sure exactly where this is uh, growing, but forsythia, five feet tall. It's been there for a couple of years. Dig the biggest root ball that you can, but wait until after it blooms and then cut it back hard. So you're going to cut at least 30% off after it blooms, and you're going to move it that same time when you're doing all that cutting back. And it should do fine. Just make sure well-drained, good quality soil, lots of sun. Terrific. Well, what great questions we've got already. I know. I uh, want folks to stand by and keep in mind, of course, that you are listening to a program we recorded last Tuesday. It's being sewn together, and as you're listening now, it's, of course, Saturday morning, and we're looking for new questions, which we'll use next week. So your job, my friends, is to write a little note here via email to Charlie. Uh, that's Charlie Dobbin, C dot Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. Of course, we're not taking any phone calls, but uh, we'll deal with your questions next week. And we'll return very shortly to say hi to Barb Forster, who's next up with a question here on The Garden Show. You okay with that, Charlie? Sounds good. All righty, back in just a couple of moments. You are listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio, AM 740 at 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Uh, none of us involved in this show are in downtown Toronto, come to think of it. <laughs> uh, Charlie Dobbin is at her home in Prince Edward County, and, and Joel, our main tech guy, 
he's somewhere in, in downtown Toronto at an Airbnb putting those all together because his house is being renovated. And I'm at the, the corner of Kennedy and Aurora Road in my car. So here and, we go once again. And Frank, yeah, just to break in for a second, um, you know, and we are all taking the whole social distancing um, uh, information very seriously. We're, we're all following exactly what we've been told to do there. And uh, it's funny, my brother, who has been sending me some very funny little, I don't know, memes he's found on the web, he sent a couple little notes here. One is, I need to practice social distancing from the refrigerator. Um, and, yeah. um, this, I like this one too. This morning I saw a neighbor talking to her cat. It was obvious. She thought her cat understood her. I came into my house, told my dog, and we laughed a lot. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> my bo- How about this? My body has absorbed so much soap and disinfectant lately that when I pee, it cleans the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the garden show. <laughs> Don't get me laughing because I, I sure coughing. Oh, oh, sorry about that, Frank. Right, no laughing allowed. No laughing allowed. All right. Uh, Barb, Barb Forster writes, and the subject is a peace lily. Mm-hmm. Hi, Charlie and Frank. I have brown leaves appearing on my peace lily. I'm overwater. Am I overwatering or underwatering it? Should it have fertilizer? And if so, what ratio? And she goes on to say, when should you cut poinsettia plant down? Here's a question number two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Boy, she snuck that in. Well, maybe uh-huh. we'll, we'll deal with that after you deal with the uh, East Lily question. And then the third one was, what was the name of that hydrangea that you really like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So hold on. I'll answer that one because that's a good one. And, and it's the time of year if you are able to shop at your local garden center in the sense that you can call them or email them, place an order, pay on the phone, pay on the web, and then do the curbside pickup. Uh, and you've got the room for it. This hydrangea called Lime Light is gorgeous. Uh, you need the room for it. It wants to be eight feet tall and eight feet wide. But similar to that pinky winky hydrangea we were just talking about, it is the PG variety, meaning it's got the conical flowers, blooms later in the summer. Uh, limelight is, is a, it's white, but the, the flowers are like a lime colored, like they're really soft green. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous plant and just so, so dependable. No bugs, no diseases, thousands of flowers. Uh, if you let it, if you have the room for it to get to full size, if you don't, the small version of limelight is called little lime. So bo- both really, really nice hydrangeas. Um, but to go, Go back to the question about the peace lily. You know what? It's a really good question. Um, am I overwatering or underwatering? Um, many tropical plants look exactly the same, whether you're underwatering or overwatering. So I can't really tell you. Only you would know whether you're overwatering or underwatering. You know, oh, the, too much water, not enough water, you'll often get brown tips on plants. So <clears throat> what do you do? Well, right away, feel the soil. Do not water, obviously, if the soil is wet or soggy at all. Smell the soil. If the soil smells swampy, uh, if there's, you know, um, decomposition of the roots going on, you're going to smell that. You'll know you've overwatered. So just stop watering at that point. Leave the plant alone until, with a peace lily, let the leaves flag. We call it them flagging when they start to look a little wilted. The color will actually change. They'll lose their shine. They'll get a dull green. The leaves will get, like I say, dull and a little bit limp, 
that's when you know it's time to water. Unless it looks like that when you just watered it in the last two days, then again, you've overwatered because leaves will flag, leaves will look limp when it's overwatered as well. So be very, very careful with overwatering only, never water by the calendar, only water after you feel the plants, feel the soil. And fertilizing, yes, we're at that time of year, we want to fertilize all our garden plants, indoors and out. And with um, Peace Lily, I would just go with an all-purpose fertilizer, you know, 10, 10, 10, um, you know, 20, 20, 20, anything like that will work fine on a Peace Lily, unless you already own something like a, a 15, 30, 15, something like a flowering plant fertilizer, you could use that as well. And um, um, so go for it, definitely. Next time you water, follow the instructions on the fertilizer package and give that amount of fertilizer and water to your plant. Okay. Uh, have you answered all the questions there? I got kind of lost. There must- Did you? Okay. Well, no, actually, that was question. I did number three first, then I went to number one. The, the one in the middle about the poinsettia, she's wondering about when to cut down. You know what poinsettia is? That's that Christmas plant, the red leaves. Yeah. So she just wants to keep it. So yes, cut it down now. Actually, most cases we would have already cut it down in March. Uh, and then that will help it to bush out and get much more dense and a much prettier plant. And once we're frost free, get it outside in the shade and enjoy it as a green plant out in your garden in its pot and then uh, bring it in at the end of the summer. And we'll talk in the, in the fall about how to get that to color up again and look gorgeous. Okay, I'm going to give myself a little job to do this week, and that's to run out and try to find a pinky winky hydrangea. <laughs> just, just because I want to see the expression on people's face when I tell them when I'm going at home. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, we have another question here. This from Mary Batstone, and she says there are. Um, oh yes, she's been away. I enjoy your show Saturday morning. We've been away all winter. Came home about a month ago. We have discovered little flies on our two hibiscus plants. What should we do? Then you wrote back, uh, hi, Mary, can you be more specific? What color flies, white or black? Picks are always good, too. And then she wrote, oh, they are black flies. I've tried spraying the plants with safer's rose and flower insecticide, then putting large garbage bags over them. I still have some flies. Hope this helps you. Mm. Think of those poor plants. Think of those poor plants with garbage bags over top of them. <laughs> so funny. But I know people sometimes do that. All right, here's the deal. And we, we have discussed this before. So I'm glad you wrote back, Mary, letting me know they were flies that are black in color. They probably look a lot like a fruit fly. They're just little tiny black flies, you know, flitting around. They are not fruit flies. They are called fungus gnats. So fungus G-N-A-T-S, gnats. They live in the soil. They eat the fungus. Uh, when we water our plants, uh, fungus will often grow in amongst the peat moss. And that's likely what's going on. Uh, you were away all winter, so somebody was looking after your plants for you. And this somebody didn't want to underwater your plants, so they probably slightly maybe overwatered them. And when we keep the soil constantly moist in our our potted plants, then we really encourage fungus to grow. And that's what's going on. You've got the fungus there. You've got the gnats eating the fungus. And it's just a circular situation. As long as there's food, the insects will survive. So time to not to take the garbage bags off the plants. They don't like that. Uh, nobody wants to be under plastic like that. So get away, get the garbage bags out of there. The spring did might have killed a few of them that were flying around, but 
what you really need to do is you need to uh, stop those flying insects from laying more eggs. And the way we do that is, number one, cut back on the watering. So only water those hibiscus when they are dry. Let those leaves flag, like we said for the peace lily, let the leaves start to go limp between waterings. When you water, water thoroughly, make sure there's, you know, you, the soil is well saturated when you do water, but let it really dry out between watering. That way you're going to sh- uh, shrink some of your fungal population, which will shrink, shrink your insect population as well. And the one thing you can buy are those things I've talked about before called sticky sticks. So that's from Safers. They make these, uh, it's like a fly paper, like the yellow sticky paper that goes on little sticks uh, into the soil, standing up in your pots. And the insects, the flying insects are very attracted to the color yellow and they fly fly into those yellow stick sticky um, pads and then are stuck onto the like flypaper stickiness. And once they're stuck, it's a good thing because now they, uh, well, ultimately they die there, but they also are not able to lay any eggs in the soil. So it'll take a few weeks, but you will be able to eliminate those fungus gnats with sticky sticks and less, wa- less frequent watering. Water thoroughly, but not as frequently. Okay. And boy, our next question really emphasizes social distancing. It's from Belinda. says, uh, hello, Charlie. I'm Belinda from Edmonton, Alberta. I found your show on podcast this past winter and love listening to your show. I'm in a new built area, about one foot of topsoil and heavy clay below. Now, last summer, I created a front bed of perennials and a raised vegetable bed in my backyard. I'm a fairly new gardener, so your show has been very helpful. My question is, I would love to plant some trees, a cherry tree, preferably sweet, and some evergreen trees for winter interest. What medium-sized trees would you suggest for a heavy clay zone three area? And I'll maybe repeat the next little comment she's got after you answer that question. Right. So it's always a challenge when we're in heavy clay. Uh, zone three is a little colder than what we deal with in the GTA area uh, around Toronto. We're mostly zone five, maybe four. And when you're down right by Lake Ontario, you're, you can be as much as a zone six. So she's quite a bit chillier. Uh, even, you know, Barry is zone four, right? So she's even cooler than Barry in terms of her year-round average temperatures and wind, etc. Now, she says she wants a cherry tree, preferably sweet. So sweet cherries are those ones we love to eat right off the plant, off the tree. Um, I wouldn't recommend a sweet cherry for two reasons. One is they, you need two. So they are cross-pollinated. You can't even have two of the same variety. So you'd have to get a Bing, which would be one kind of a sweet cherry, and you'd have to mix that up with a, something else, another sweet cherry, so they can cross-pollinate each other, and they become very, very large trees, much bigger than, than most uh, suburban yards could handle. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that. But you know what I would do, particularly with such a heavy soil, because cherries don't like to sit, they hate, they do not want to sit in wet. Like they don't want consistent wet around their roots. And of course, clay soils tend to be very, very moist. So I would think, you know, you want berries. Think about elderberry. They love a moist situation. Birds love them. You love them. They're nice and hardy. Um, and they're, you know, it becomes a big shrub more than a big tree, but you can train them into a tree if you want to. Um, elderberry comes to mind. Serviceberry, though she may already have that. 
amelanchier, also known as Saskatoonberry. So nice, hardy, hardy plants. Um, and I'm thinking, yeah, if she really likes the idea of, you know, the edibility of, say, cherries, even think of hascaps. Hascaps are not trees, they're, sh- they're bushes, but, um, you know, about, you know, grow about three to four feet tall. But boy, are they delicious. And boy, do they, are they hardy. Like they, they're like a zone two plant. So they can certainly handle whatever life throws at them when it comes to cold weather. Um, otherwise, ever, oh, right, evergreens, um, medium sized trees. Well, spruce are always going to be one of your tougher varieties. Choose a cultivar that won't get to full size. So, um, that heavy clay is never uh, what any plant really wants. So you're going to want to mix up some organic material into that heavy clay. Hemlock, nice native, nice native tree does super well in moist. Uh, situations very naturally grows in moist locations. So again, but not super small. It's a uh, hemlocks do get big over time, but beautiful, beautiful plants. Um, a pine tree, but pines generally don't like the, the wetness. So I probably go with a spruce, a smaller cultivar of a spruce, a blue or a green spruce, um, or hemlock, uh, and, and enjoy because, um, yeah, that's nice to get the certain amount of interest, obviously in the winter with our evergreens, but also shelter for the animals, the birds and um, all the wildlife. They love those evergreens on a cold, windy day in the winter particularly. So that's why we love planting them just for them, if nobody else. You got it. Oh, and and Belinda goes on here to say uh, also I've seen Calgary boxwood at local shops at local shops last year. However, all the research I've done say they are zone 4 to 5 shrub. I know that Edmonton can be a zone 4 microclimate. However, should I risk the cash on a plant that might die during our cold stamps in February? I, I wouldn't. I think that she's asking a very good question there. Boxwood are so popular, and yet they're so tough to grow. Even here, right here in Prince Edward County, my, my neighbors who are planting new gardens around me, uh, next door neighbor put in a bunch of boxwood that are all bright orange now after one winter. But boxwood are evergreens, and they do not like the winds. They do not like extreme cold. Uh, they often will not survive, and do not plant them unless you've got a full guarantee on them because you do not, the, the chance of them surviving is low. So don't, don't do it. I'm just not sure whether, um, uh, Belinda's thinking wanting a small hedge or what she's wanting those boxwood for. Um, so I, yeah, the answer to the question is no. <laughs> Maybe she can write you another little email mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at that point and we'll deal with that next week. Exactly. We're up to our next break here. So let's let's do that. Give you a moment to get your breath back. You've been really busy this morning, but some super questions coming in. Mm-hmm. We'll return to the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin in just moments here on Zuma Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. I'm Frank Proctor, back in just a moment. Well, Charlie, we're, we're back at things here. You in Prince Edward County, me at my little uh, corner spot on the road here from the Aurora Road and Kennedy Road in and of course, we have Joel uh, in in uh, some uh, I think B and B in downtown Toronto in front of his computer. Now, uh, our last uh, note from Belinda mentioned that she was tuning in via uh, because of uh, discovering podcasts mm-hmm. that uh, we do, uh, and that's a great reminder for those of you who are listening in right now, and you you might miss something along the way. About halfway through the week, Wednesday or Thursday, check in to the station. Uh, our main page, you'll see podcasts. Go to that, 
And you can go to any of the shows that Charlie and I have done over these uh, many years. Oh, well, something like 11 years now, right? No, gosh, we're coming up to 13, Frank. Oh, my Lord. Really? I know. Really? Oh, I know. The, yeah, so podcast on website AM740, uh, like you said, under the, the tab that says podcast. But we're also on iTunes. So for anybody who's – and I think a lot of times people do find us on iTunes because they're thinking about gardening and iTunes curates all their shows, the podcasts, into different categories. So we're obviously in the garden section. And, um, yeah, we sort of jump out and then – yeah, all kinds of people all over the world discover us. It's pretty fun. Speaking of discovering things, you mentioned something to me just off air that I thought maybe worth a quick little mention here, a special show coming up tonight. You want to detail that? Well, yeah, it's tonight. I'm not sure if you heard about this, Frank. It's um, <clears throat> it's really, I think, kind of designed as a morale booster. It's the World Health Organization. So WHO has teamed up with international advocacy organization Global Citizen to launch One World Together at Home. So it's a global television and streaming special. It's curated by Lady Gaga. It's designed to celebrate frontline healthcare workers around the globe in their unrelenting battle against COVID-19 pandemic. And there's all kinds of big superstars going to be playing music and the, the hosts are all the Jimmys, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, even Stephen Colbert and some of the Sesame Street characters are going to be part partially hosting it. So I think it'll be fun and it'll be great music for sure. And it gives us a reason to tip our hats to all the frontline workers out there doing an incredible and dangerous job, too. Well, okay, okay, let's get back to our questions here. This in from Teresa Kimball regarding houseplants. She says, is it safe to move indoor houseplants from one location to another? (laughs) You answered her and said, well, hi, Teresa. I'm not sure what you're asking. Are you moving house or thinking to move plants outside, please let me know. So she responded and said, I was referring to house plants to move from one spot to another in the same room, indoors facing south. Also, is the ivy plant very slow in giving out new leaves? Seems to take forever to get new leaves, but is it? But it is very healthy. <laughs> Funny, eh? Communication. Yes, indeed. So can you move a plant from one spot in a room to another spot in a room? For sure. Uh, now, the reason Teresa probably thinks that's a bad idea is there are plants, one in particular comes to mind, is the weeping fig or the benjamina, ficus benjamina. Do, we always say they don't like being moved. So when you buy it in the store and you take it home, first thing it does is it drops all its leaves because it just doesn't like that being moved to your house. And if you can just let it, you know, settle into your house, it'll be fine. It'll grow new leaves. But uh, it does cause a certain amount of panic for people because of this leaf dropping. Generally speaking, though, yes, you can move plants. And and you know what? Like, I'm in a house that I've only lived in now for six or seven months, and I'm still figuring out what's the right location for different plants. You know, they'll thrive in situations and not thrive in others. So I'm sort of constantly moving my plants around, just trying them in different, where they look nice and where they're happy, where they're flowering and doing all the things they're supposed to be doing. So yes, don't hesitate to move plants around as necessary. And of course, always remember, turn your plants in the window that 180 degrees every uh, week or so. The question about the ivy plant, um, no, they're not usually very slow in giving out new leaves. If it's not leafing out, uh, it's, she says it's very healthy, but I guess it's just not showing a lot of new growth. Uh, tip prune it. 
get out your little pruners, take off just the tips, take off, you know, the, the, the half inch at the end of each of the tips on, on the, the vines. Ivies are, are like a trailing vine. So tip, prune, and you will, it'll get much bushier and it'll also send out lots of new growth and go back to the fertilizing. Remember, we are at that time of year when we do start fertilizing. Okay. Um, okay. Heather knows here <laughs> from, and this almost made me get out of the car and do jumping jacks in the parking lot here. Uh, from <laughs> Sheila, who is a fitness instructor or educator, she says, and it's regarding bugs in the garden. She says, hello, Charlie. Love listening to your show. I meant to email you last year, but never had a camera when I was in the garden. I have an infestation of red bugs, and I'm hoping you, t- you can tell me what they are, where they came from, and what damage they'll do to my garden, and most importantly, how to get rid of them. Thank you. Uh, couldn't down- I couldn't download the pic. Were you able to do that, Charlie? Yes, yes, I got oh, it. Oh, good. Okay, so this is funny. I mean, it's because, of course, what's most importantly, how to get rid of them. It's just interesting how people always want to get rid of bugs. Like, bugs can be your friends, um, I think, anyway. So those are called box elder bugs. So they are found mostly on maple trees and ash trees. And, of course, what's a box elder tree but a Manito- what we call a Manitoba maple here in Ontario. What do box elder bugs do? Well, some people get frustrated with them because they will, in the fall, congregate on their homes. They'll sneak into the, under the siding or into the, the foundation of the house through little tiny cracks. And then on a warm day, they all emerge inside our houses and we're like, what? Where did all these bugs come from? And it freaks people out. So that I understand you want to get rid of those. But if you do end up with box elder bugs inside your house or even outside on your outdoor furniture, or on your walls, do not squish them. Do not um, do anything like that because they they uh, leave behind quite a stain. They um, leave quite a quite a red stain when you squish them. So avoid squishing. But you know what? What do they eat? They eat the seeds of trees like maple trees, ash trees and Manitoba maple trees. And guess what? Who wants a bunch, unless Sheila wants to start a nursery with ma- little baby maple trees, then it's a good thing. Have these bugs eat those seeds so she doesn't have to pull them all up. That's what's going to happen. Those seeds are going to grow if they're not eaten up or pulled up. And um, I say thanks to the bugs. Saves her from having to pull up all those little tiny seedlings. So, yeah, don't worry. They are harmless to people, harmless to your pets. They will not hurt any plants. They're just going to eat seeds of trees that you don't want growing anyway. So, and, and you really only see them together like that in, in, you know, all in a group. And they're so obvious in the spring and in the fall when they're cold and they come together to keep each other warm and they taste so bad that the birds won't eat them. Um, and they, um, that's why they're so obvious, right? They're, a red bug usually gets eaten by something, but when they taste bad, then nobody wants to eat them. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. All righty. You know what, Charlie? We are bumping up to our next break here on the Garden Show. So take a breather there, have a little sip of coffee, and uh, we'll come back and deal with another question uh, from Sheila Mitchell. Matter of fact, Sheila has dis- has uh, asked several questions. I'm going to fire them all at you and let you pick and choose. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up very shortly here on The Garden Show from Zuma Radio. Well, hi there. Frank Proctor with you, along with, of course, Charlie Dobbin. It's The Garden Show from Zuma Radio. And uh, Charlie has been dealing with all sorts of questions via emails. We thank you very much for them. Uh, here's one from Sheila Mitchell I quickly mentioned before. Hello, Charlie. 
We talked about uh, by Facebook, and I've ordered some herbs and flower seeds. Once they arrive, what should I do? I would plant indoors, but how much light? Or should you plant a whole packet or just a few <laughs> seeds at a time? And which soil is best to use? Wow, a whole bunch of stuff packed up in one letter there from Sheila. I know that's like that's like a whole seminar on seed on growing growing things by seed. All right, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, okay, Sheila, couple of things right off the top. Do not do not ever plant a whole packet of seeds because generally speaking, that would give you way too many plants. Um, you mentioned flowers and herbs. Yeah. So say, say you ordered parsley, a package of parsley in that package, you might have 50 seeds and I doubt you want 50 plants, but you might want three to five or six plants. So you might plant 10 seeds because remember you rarely get 100% germination. Uh, so always a good idea, plant a few extras more than what you think you're going to want. So that's just as an example. Now, uh, in I planting indoors, good idea. How much light? Generally speaking, most plants do not need, sorry, most seeds do not need light to germinate. There are a few, like lettuce, that we plant on the surface because it does need light to germinate. But generally speaking, you know, beans and peas and petunias, where the seeds go beneath the soil surface, they do not require light until they germinate. Once they germinate, now they need typically bright light. Um, and that's where grow light can be a very handy item. There are little um, fluorescent grow lights. There's excellent LED grow lights nowadays. Window cells can work, but window sills are not always consistent in giving good light every day. You know, we get those gray days where we don't see any sun and then the next day we see tons of sun and, you know, it's on and on. So consistent light is very important once the seedlings start to grow. Um, and then soil, get yourself some seed starting mix. There's regular soils out there, potting soils for all purpose planting, but if possible, get seed starting mix. It's a finer grade of soil. It's been ground up so that the actual particles are smaller and it makes it easier for the seeds to germinate and to emerge through the soil. Um, but every single package of seeds is going to have different uh, information on how to plant. So the depth to plant, the distance to plant apart, the days to germination, all that information is going to be on each of your seed packages. So read it all, line them all up and figure out, you know, some seeds you may want to just take them straight outside and others you are going to start indoors. You know, Charlie, I, I'm looking at the clock here and by golly, I think we're just about out of showtime. We're at the checkout counter. Oh, uh, I want to thank all the uh, all the folks who, of course, uh, sent those emails in to us uh, last week. And a reminder that we're we're always looking for uh, wonderful emails and a way to connect with you folks. So uh, you can send a little note to c dot dobbin d o b b i n at mzmedia dot com. And uh, you've done a superb job again, Charlie. I'm always amazed. At your knowledge and how you could disseminate it in such a neat fashion. And of course, we got to thank Joel uh, back uh, somewhere <laughs> putting all this together. 
Yes, thank you, of course, to all of our listeners and all of our good question askers. And, and you know what, uh, you know, Jules um, mentioned before we were started the show that, you know, he's at home, obviously, with his wife and his daughter, Emmy, and he's learning how to homeschool. And so this is for, for uh, Emmy, um, a little note from my brother, part of the, the little cute things he's been sending me about um, COVID-19 and some of the quarantining we're doing. And of course, my child just said the other day, I hope I don't have the same teacher next year. So, you know, it's like, I think the kids are missing their teachers in a lot of ways, missing that getting out. So let's all hope that soon we can get out and get back to some of the, the normal and that this new normal doesn't last too much longer. And we can get out into our gardens in the meantime. Sorry, Frank, go ahead. No, I was just going to look forward to next week when maybe Emmy will ask a question of her own. There we go. We're going to look forward to that. And uh, so wonderful. Thanks so much, Frank. You take care. Love to Shirley. Stay safe. Thanks, Joel. Thanks to all our great listeners and question askers. We will see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.